This is Joshua Hatton with One Nation Under Whiskey Podcast, and I'm a broken man that is joined uh, with with yet another broken man after after a long trip, a uh, long time on Isla. Uh, oh, his name, by the way, is Jason Johnston Yellen. In case you didn't, in case you didn't know, yeah, no longer friend, no longer business partner, just this guy Jason that I talk to occasionally. <laughs> And spend day after day with on Isla <laughs> and through central Scotland. Friends, <clears throat> business partners, everything. Almost everything. Not everything. <laughs> Moonlight Moonlight Sonata. <laughs> uh, I wasn't broken until you came on. Now that you're on here, I'm broken, man. So what are we going to say? What are we going to talk about? What are we going to do? It's me rubbing off on you. I had enough of that in Isla. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so we're back from Isla. You and I had a, a nice long trip in Scotland, right? We did. Uh, we, uh, did. we met with some existing brokers. We met with some new brokers. We visited a couple lovely distill, actually, a couple lovely Speyside distilleries. And then we went to the Glasgow's Old and Rare show for a little bit, had a couple nice tipples, and and met some people that we'd been wanting to meet for a good long while. Very much so. Yeah, it's, it was interesting having a chance to meet people that we've literally known online for 10 years. Yeah. And finally met in person. And, and so Mark Pendlebury. Yeah. Yeah, out of South Africa. Yeah, AKA Whiskey Brother. Yeah, yeah, great, great guy, and and somebody we've had a lovely relationship with, as I say, for for the better part of a decade, and yeah, he just came over and hey, hey guys, I, I'm Mark. Great to finally meet you. I, absolutely, um, I, I think you met James Saxon for the first time. Met James Saxon for the first time. Uh, yeah, also known as Scotch Odyssey, uh, yeah. from from blogging back in the day. Uh, like he was a whiskey cyclist, right? Exactly. Yes, exactly. Did a did a tour on his bike from distillery to distillery. Uh, well worth a read. Yeah. So now, whereas Mark owns a, I think he even said a couple of whiskey bars in South Africa now, uh, and a whiskey shop. Mm-hmm. Um, James Saxon has has lived a whiskey life and is now uh, an assistant to John Glazer at Compass Box. Amazing, uh, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, got to see Blair Bowman. Yeah, I got to again. see Blair. Have, you've met him before, right? I've, I have, yeah, yeah, in Seattle, actually, at Liberty. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Um, yeah, it was lovely to see him in Glasgow. He'd come in from Edinburgh for the day. Good guy to finally, for you to finally meet me to see again. No, I've met him before. I had I had a fairly long day with him at Whiskey Live back in 2014, I want to say. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, yep, there you go. Now you know. Interesting. And knowing. It's half the battle. I tell you though, it was a it was a funny it was a funny thing because we walked in the doors of the old and rare. It was good because we'd started the day with a master class. Yeah. So we got a little bit of whiskey in us right from the get go. That was good. But then we walked in the, the main doors of the old and rare, saw David Sturk on his table. He was the mm-hmm. first guy inside the first door. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
spoke with him, got a dram from him. It then took us two hours to travel 20 feet. <laughs> and there were no more drams. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> it was just a case of you turn around, you see people, just like we're describing here, we're meeting for the the first time or seeing for the second time in 10 years or third time in 10 years. And you talk and you talk and you talk, you catch up, it's a great conversation. Then all you all of you say, okay, going to go get a dram. And then you all turn away from each other and you take a step and you meet somebody else who was waiting to talk to you <laughs> and say hello. And you talk to them for a while yeah, yeah. and then you all agree, okay, let's go get some drams. You take another step and boom, there's somebody else who's waiting to speak. Two hours and we didn't even make it 20 feet. Yeah. It was remarkable. It, yeah. it was great, but it was remarkable. And I, I loved it. I absolutely I, loved it. You know, it was it was nice being in a room with all of these old and and you know, to use their term, old and rare whiskeys, but just like any show, the main reason that I'm there is to to talk with people and to say hello and and this time getting to meet so many people like you had said that that we'd had some sort of an online relationship with through whiskey over over the course of 10 years maybe a little bit more and and there's one other person that I had been uh, you know we, we were like ships passing in the night on many occasions and is the it is the uh, the inimitable <laughs> Jason B standing who we actually met the night before the old and rare show standing in the pot still in Glasgow yes 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 and I I don't. I don't know if he he saw me or I saw him, but it was one of those things where I had a jacket in one hand, a beer in the other, a whiskey in the other. Uh, yes, I was Vishnu that night. I want to talk about what my five other hands were doing, and I handed it all to you. And you and did I, hand it all to me, and I, I became Vishnu. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, and I had to give him a hug. He's one of these guys. You know, we just. Oh, am I going to meet you here? He was in the U.S. for months. Just, just in New York, you know, not too far from me, a couple hours from me, and it just never worked out. And I'm so glad that it, that it finally worked out. Yeah, he was a really sweet, sweet guy. Really nice to finally meet him. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it was, so it really and, was a, a meeting of of whiskey hearts and minds mm-hmm. in yeah. in Glasgow uh, a couple of weekends ago. That yeah. was. That was a jolly good time. And we tasted, as you say, some good little drams there. Did you have a favourite? I, I think in terms of something to... Something that I never thought I would taste mm-hmm. category. Like, I've, I've tasted from the 50s and the 60s, and and we had some bottlings that were, uh, you know, some whiskies that were bottled in the 60s and 70s and things like that. And so, so you know, those were all very special, and, and I really thoroughly enjoyed them. I would say the the 1930s unpeated Laphroaig, uh, partly because I am such a fan of Laphroaig, mm-hmm. partly because I never thought I would taste a, a 1930s unpeated Laphroaig, and the fact that I got to share it with very good friends around me yeah. uh, really elevated that entire experience. I even got to share it with Dennis Nickel who was the distillery manager at Laphroaig from 74 to, to 80. Oh, yeah. And, and got to chat with him a little bit and did my best to set him up for a future episode of One Nation Under Whiskey as well. That's going to be brilliant. And so, 
Yeah, there, there might not be any 1930s Umpy that Lefroy consumed uh, during the interview, but <laughs> it'll be it'll be great to talk to him and, and get him on wax. Yeah. Uh, so so yeah so so for for the full rich context. Oh, here before I throw over to you for your favorite, someone just as I talk about kind of whiskey context and historical context, that's exactly what I talked to Ingvar Rond about, uh, the editor of Malt Whiskey Yearbook, which is a, a, an annual purchase for us. Yeah, I had a very rich conversation with him about context. So yeah, it just mm. reminded me, met Ingvar for the first time as well on the Sunday. Yeah, My I, mind I, was stuck on the Saturday. I kept seeing him out of the corner of my eye, but he was always uh, deep in conversation with this person or that person. And, well, and, you know. and that's kind of how he and I started talking as well. He came over to me and he said, look, I've been watching you walk around here having various conversations. And I said, I've been watching you walk around here having various conversations. <laughs> and it was just a case of, okay, let's make time for a five-minute conversation right now. And he was on his way to a master class as well. So, okay, it's yeah, you don't get to speak to all the people you can even see across the room. So, yeah. Um, so, you, favorite little dram there? Well, the 30s Lefroig is... It does fall into the same category as you. It's you know one of these things that you th- you think you'd never have the chance to taste. And to be quite honest, I wasn't even aware that there was such a thing as unpeated Lafroig. And to get to taste that, and to get to taste it, yeah, should I say this? You know, they they had the bottle there, and it's obviously a very old bottle. And so I assumed the whiskey would have that sort of old bottle effect. Uh, the sort of heavy phenolic plasticine kind of wet cardboardy thing all over it, but it wasn't. It was as fresh mm-hmm. as could be, mm-hmm. and and so it tasted almost as if it was something that I would have, uh, you know, if I were in the '30s and I opened it then. I imagine this is how it would taste, right? But I wouldn't say that was my favorite. My favorite whiskey of the night, I think was a 1966 Glen Oogie bottled by Secret Stills. That was and, tasty. There's no doubt yeah, about it. Yeah. Yeah, that was... The, the fruitiness of that whiskey was just uh, mind-boggling. And it, when I think about my favorite whiskeys, they are the ones that lean more towards the lighter tropical fruit flavors. Even if they're peaty, I want that tropical fruitiness to come through. And, and this one just, you know, ticked those boxes for me. Well, I think one could argue that the 33-year-old Glen Kinchy that we started the Saturday with from David Stirk. Oh, man, yeah. Right in that wheelhouse as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah, agreed. With a bit more oak on it, right? That was a sherry-matured one. Uh, but, yeah, what a way to be welcomed into the show with with David Stirk saying, try some 33-year-old independently bottled Glen Kinchy. When's the last time you've seen independently bottled Glen Kinchy? I've seen two, and both have been from Stirk. There you go. There yeah. you go. Man with a connection. Yeah. So, so what are we doing so, today, Joshua? Here we are reminiscing about our, our time in Scotland. What's what's on the docket for today? What we're going to discuss really has... There is a connection to Scotland, but we're going to be is. focusing on uh, Ireland, Irish whiskey, and Irish whiskey produced, bottled, and soon to be distilled by the good Jennifer Nickerson. Awesome. 
Yeah. Lovely lady. Indeed. Uh, was she on the podcast before? I know. I asked myself the same question, Joshua. Like during a Jubilee episode or something like I, that? I want to say we had the plan to have her on. Did you make it to her table and, and interview her while she was in the penthouse of Studio 450? That was all the way back in 2017. And okay. I'm having a difficult time remembering what happened <laughs> <laughs> 10 days ago. <laughs> it is true. It is true. Remember what happened 10 days ago is difficult. There is no doubt about that. 10 minutes ago can sometimes be a struggle depending on how my days are going. It really can um, be. Uh, just just as, a, as a very quick aside before we uh, jump into our interview with Jennifer, you and I were in Scotland for... For the better part of a uh, seven eight days, and then I came home and moved right into uh, moving house. <laughs> and so you are a broken man. Then I asked you if you're <laughs> as broken as I am, and you must be. <laughs> and so today is the last day I have internet in the house that currently ho- is, plays home to my office. And um, my my wife has come past this door many times, mm-hmm. and uh, just just shakes her head and shuts the door. Um, Have because, you not packed it? Oh, jeez, there's no, absolutely not, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but internet kicks on at the new house tomorrow. Yeah, and so I need to uh, set myself up a new home office. Um, in the next 24 hours, <laughs> at the same time, helping pack up other rooms and unpack other rooms and conduct business and, you know, lead a life that looks like a Wednesday. And uh, it's not, it's not good. It's just not good. It it's doesn't, not, it's, yeah, it sounds it's like a successful. recipe for disaster. Exactly. So, yeah. so when we talk about remembering what happened 10 minutes ago, I am very much of the what is happening right now? Ten minutes ago is no use to me. It's only right now and ten minutes from now and 24 hours from now are the only things that really matter. Well, you know what they say, tomorrow is the first day of the rest of your life. Interesting. I hate people that say that. <laughs> they also, no one says that. It's today. Today is the first day. <laughs> right. So so let me, let me set the stage here. What we're talking about today is is Irish whiskey, which I don't think we have talked about in in any great length or depth or girth here on the podcast. Um, if we talked about it, it was just in passing, right? You know, having this whiskey or having that whiskey or something like that. And while I do want to get into the specifics with with Jennifer and Tipperary which is her her brand of Irish whiskey and her distillery which is 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 actually currently being uh, built it's in construction right now uh, though in the podcast in this in this interview we talk about it soon to be in construction so it gives yes. you an idea of how old this conversation is I wanted to sort of lay a foundation lay a groundwork for Irish whiskey, at least from an American perspective, how confusing the category is. Do you agree that it's a confusing category before I go on? I I don't, but it could be just because nobody knows 
what's there to be confused about. And that's you, and that, that's exactly. So it's more where like meta confusion. Me- meta confusion. I, I think if you approach a consumer of Irish whiskey in the street, in a bar, yeah. in a nightclub, they they don't think there's anything to be confused about. It's Irish whiskey. If you prodded, maybe one in ten would know that it's the product of malted and unmalted barley. I I would say that with that step with that statement, I saw your face. I, I think you're going to disagree with one in ten. I'm definitely don't. Well, I I agree with one in ten, but it's one of those situations where you've got Paul Rudd from Anchorman saying sixty percent of the time it works every time. <laughs> you know that 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 one in ten people are people that are already probably fairly well versed in scotch whiskey and maybe bourbon and and Irish tends to be that tertiary category that that, that they know of and they have heard something about you know I heard the the Irish triple distill and I heard that they use malted and unmalted barley but I would almost guarantee a lot of these people would say oh the Irish make single malt oh that that's the single pot still right the pot still is is their term for single malt and the fact of the matter is, pot single pot still is not single malt. Single pot still is the malted and unmalted barley distilled in pot stills, sometimes twice distilled, sometimes three times distilled. And, and single malt is exactly what single malt is in Scotland, 100% malted barley distilled in pot stills. But then you have the largest category, which is, which is blends. And while Irish whiskey is growing by leaps and bounds. The vast majority of it is driven by by Jameson and those that drink Jameson and those that drink Jameson aren't necessarily drinking it because they're appreciators of whiskey. They're doing it because it goes into an Irish coffee. Uh, they're out for bars. Let's get a shot of Jameson. Or, you know, maybe they know some other brands like Patties or, or Powers and, you know, some of these. But all of these are, are big blends, and that's what people associate Irish whiskey with. Yeah, and, and that's – you kind of led that where I was, I was going to make my comment is as you see the growth in the category, mm. you know, as, you know as, as recently as what, 10 years ago? You could identify the Irish category as having three predominant distilleries. Mm-hmm. And now we're up to anywhere between 16 and 18 with another of the same number in development, in planning. Yeah. In, yeah. Right. And I, I think if you were to look at a category that was as small as Irish whiskey, even though it had a huge presence on the international stage, mm-hmm. but it was really just three distilleries producing a, a, a shit ton of juice. There's that official industry measurement again. <laughs> As you start having conversations with new Irish distillers and builders of new Irish distilleries and brands, I don't think you can help but learn more about the category, right? Because mm-hmm. if yeah. if you walk in the door and you're Jennifer Nickerson and and you want to talk about Tipperary and the person you're speaking to 
likes Irish whiskey and only knows Jameson, they, they have no idea what to talk to you about. They have no idea what questions to ask you. All they're curious about is what makes you not Jameson's? Mm. And then you have the beginning of a knowledgeable Jennifer Nickerson saying, well, let me tell you this about exactly. distillation. Let me tell you this about barley. Yeah. And that's, to me, how the category grows. And I think you nailed it with the term a knowledgeable Jennifer Nickerson because she really, really knows her stuff. And it was a great joy speaking with her. And I think this is what you said actually is is a really good segue into that bit of the conversation where we're talking about the categories of Irish whiskey and and we're talking about the, the growth that's driving the the these new builds. So uh, let's it's a good time to hand it over to her, right? Absolutely. All right, let's do it to it. With Irish whiskey as a as a category and and I'm just I'm talking from from a US perspective the category mm-hmm. itself uh has grown tremendously and mm-hmm. c- continues to grow and and now there are I don't know how many distilleries you know being built or have opened in in Ireland but traditionally there was what three and now we're we're in double digits for sure or getting there there traditionally there was two up until the eighties and eighty two I think it was um, their Cooley opened then yeah. they kind of revived Kilbegan in the nineties I think so that was three and a half I don't think Kilbegan <laughs> I don't half. think Kilbegan yeah. was operating at full capacity but somebody oh, okay. could correct okay. me there okay. and then I think we're now sitting at sixteen. <laughs> with like another 15 or so in the pipeline. Okay. Um, so it's exploded over the past sort of five five years or so. Okay. So it, as the category grows, as distilleries are being built and barley is being mashed, fermented, distilled, put down, as the category grows and distilleries are being mm-hmm. built, you have many different styles of whiskey. There's blended, there's single pot still, there's single malt, but it it seems that the major growth is through blend, though single pot still is is definitely gaining a foothold. I think Red Breast is one of the more popular whiskeys here in the States uh, and I'm sure elsewhere. But I think, and again, this is just from an American perspective, I think the the overall terms or the categories of Irish whiskey are not fully understood. I'm not sure if your average drinker who is going to go into a shop and say, I'm Irish, therefore I want to buy, buy a bottle of Irish whiskey for St. Paddy's Day. I'm not sure if they fully understand the differences between blend, between single pot still, between single malt, both double and triple distilled. And I'm curious if this is something that you find yourself going up against, whether it's in conversation, whether it is from a the standpoint of competing against other Irish brands, or, or if it just becomes that teachable moment as you're having conversations from, you know, customer visit to customer visit. I definitely don't find that when it comes to single malts. I think that the Scotch whisky industry has hugely marketed 
single malt as a category. So I think sometimes you kind of have to say to people, oh, this is a single malt because when they see Irish whiskey, um, Jameson has done so much to market Irish whiskey. Um, people quite often think that Irish whiskey is blended. Yeah. Whereas sometimes you kind of have to go, oh, no, this isn't a single malt Irish whiskey. And they're like, oh, really? And then you get like a bit of a chat about things then. Um, pot still, I think, is completely different like because and the hard thing about pot still is you start explaining it to people and then you like you've got the term pot still whiskey and then you've got like the physical pot still and the whole thing's just so confusing i'm like could we not have called it something different this would surely have been easier (laughs) (laughs) so that's the major issue with pot still is that a it's um it's not particularly well known yet I, i do think that's going to become bigger and bigger um the big players in Irish whiskey are starting to put a big push on pot still. And it's a really interesting category because it's something that's quite particular to Ireland. But at the same point in time, like it's such a hard category to explain. Like if we'd called it something sensible, like mixed mash or something, it would have been mm. fairly self-explanatory. But like <laughs> pot still in this just is a horrible category to explain to people. Yeah, it's 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 confusing. And, and when Jameson is ubiquitous... You know, I think people have a tough time discerning. Okay, what is it? And in the end, they just everybody sort of takes the, the you know the easy road out, and it's okay. This is Irish whiskey, and the fact of the matter is, the diversity in Irish whiskey is is huge. Just most people don't really know that. Yeah, know? I think I think it's getting out there more and more. Though, like Irish whiskey, although Jameson is driving a lot of it it's opening doors for other brands. So the people are sort of tasting Jameson. Whereas before, if Jameson hadn't been here and people were trying to come to America with Irish whiskey, I think it would have been hard to get people to take that step to try it. Whereas because they've tried Jameson as an Irish whiskey, they'll give you a go because it's not, it's it's asking them to take a smaller step to try a different type of Irish whiskey. There's a part of that that I want to double back on and It's the part of the conversation when you're talking about at least someone like Jameson has identified an Irish whiskey category. So you have a foothold where you can begin speaking to the consumer. Yeah. I would suggest that you actually run into a problem there. The same problem that you and I have discussed on previous episodes. Okay where an American craft distiller comes out with a product Mm -hmm. and because it's called whiskey or because it's called single malt or because it's called bourbon, it's immediately compared to another aspect of that same category. When it should really should not be. Exactly, exactly. From a flavor standpoint, yeah. And so for me... I think if we were to look at global single malt mm-hmm. or global double distillation in a copper pot still or even triple distillation in a copper pot still or even continuous distillation in a column still, I think if if there was never a Jameson's, if there was never a presence of the Irish category mm-hmm. and Jennifer Nickerson walked into a room with Tipperary and sold it by virtue of its mash bill, its yeast, its distillation, its maturation, I think she would have a ready audience. 
a ready whiskey audience that wanted to engage with her on that level. I think when you come in with a product that is distinctly different, and you said this earlier in this episode, distinctly different from what Jameson or other, you know, I think you mentioned Powers earlier. Mm-hmm. If you're distinctly different from that, you have to overcome those differences yes. before you can then sell your product, market your product. And, and so it was an aspect that I that I perhaps disagree with, that if there was no Irish category, you could come in and and create it. You could come in and market such a thing as a as a craft world, right? Uh, you know, I think something we we will come to in a, in a little bit of time is talking about the terroir of yeah. it all, yeah. right? The yeah. the farm to bottle nature of it. Uh, I think there are different aspects of this of this burgeoning Irish whiskey category that would be there to discuss. Uh, with or without uh, yeah. a Jameson. Yeah, you know, p- part of me, when, when I think about Jennifer and what she's doing with Tipperary and, and how she's going to market, I sometimes make a connection between her bottling Irish single malt and us bottling single casks as an independent bottler. You, with us, you have the vast majority of Scotch whiskey consumers out there in the world, regardless of country, that say, I like my Macallan 12, I like my Glenlivet 12. What is that? An imitation Macallan, right? When they see an, uh, an independently bottled whiskey. And we, right, we have this mass of people to go up against, yet there's a small niche within this mass of people that understand us, mm-hmm. probably buy us, you know, not us, but, you know, independently bottled whiskey, or are willing to learn about independently bottled whiskey and she is in a similar position where she's got a niche product of single malt Irish whiskey there's not a lot of it around comparatively speaking and she's got to go up against this mass of people who say I like Jameson's mm-hmm. right and mm-hmm. and so both of us from different vantage points are going up against the same big beast Right, that same mass of people that may never get out of that frame of thought of I drink Jameson's, I like McAllen Twelve, you know, and I think about that every now and again. Well, I also don't think you can help but run into the price point difference as well, right? There's a reason Jameson's bottles are the price that they are, yeah. and there's a whole host of industry processes, and I mean that both on the production and the sales side, that goes into a bottle of Jameson being that price on a shelf. Mm-hmm. And if if you're Jennifer Nickerson or you're one of the many, many, many um, distillers coming onto the scene in Irish whiskey, you know, you're, you're craft. You're paying living wages. You don't have the heft. You don't have the clout. Your price is going to be your price, the same way our single cast nation prices you know, don't align with a bottle of Macallan 12 on a shelf, right? They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're just different products. Yeah, and, yeah exactly. And I think that's something to overcome. So anyway, enough about us going on about yeah. this. You and I could talk about some of these industry uh, components, to, to use the, the nicest word I, I can. We could, we could talk about this 
endlessly, and, and our listeners know that, yeah, we could talk endlessly. <laughs> I, I want to hear more from Jennifer Nixon since she, Same. She, she took the time for the interview. Is it time to talk to her about the launch of her distillery, hopes and aspirations for that distillery? Maybe even a flavor profile of a spirit produced? Yeah, and and maybe some of the speed bumps along along Lovely. the way, right? Yeah, that's a uh, good thing to... Uh, to add in as well. So, yeah. so so back over to Jennifer. As you're going around and and telling the story of Tipperary and and selling watershed and selling knock mill downs and single casks here and there, and, and that's something that, that you and I discussed over the past mm-hmm. couple of days, you're also telling the story about Tipperary coming online as a distillery. And yeah. and I'm curious what your thoughts are as you start to transition to bottling not just stock that you've sourced from elsewhere, but now bottling your own whiskeys, how you see that story evolving as you transition to your own whiskeys? It's probably a fairly easy one for us because we've constantly been telling that story. So as we go around and we're talking to people about what we're doing and we're talking about selecting our own whiskies, so for watershed, not meal downs, um, we're selecting small batch whiskies. We are selecting whiskies that we like and hopefully what we're doing is we're giving people a taste of what we like, which mm-hmm. might give you some idea of what you can expect from us. But then if you compare those to our single casks, so I know I showed you, I, th- I think you have the sherry butt matured in a red wine. Yes. Um, and what we're trying to do is we're trying to go, okay, so we released the first couple and they were bourbons or ex-bourbon casks. And we're like, okay, so this is what Irish whiskey can be and this is what we like. But we also, this is something completely different, which is also Irish whiskey, which is also what we really like. And what we're trying to do with the boutique selection range, while we're still selecting whiskies, is give people an idea of A, what we like, but B, what is possible in Irish whiskey and that there's there's a good bit of um, a range and there's a good bit of scope there to do something exciting. Mm-hmm. And the whole time we're talking about that, we're kind of saying, and as well, we're laying down our own barley, we're doing field to bottle, the eventually aim is always going to be field to bottle. So that people aren't surprised when Next year, we're going to be um, bottling some of the first whiskey that we put down as new make. And the following year is the first whiskey that we actually grew the barley for ourselves. Wow. So we are kind of saying to everyone all the time, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. So that story has been hopefully bedded down with everyone that we're speaking to. Mm-hmm. And um, it's not coming as kind of a surprise that people are like, oh, I didn't realize that you weren't making this yourself. This is a total surprise to me um, that they're expecting us to come out with something that won't be identical to what we're doing right now, but hopefully um, has similarities, um, but is its own unique thing and is unique to Tipperary as well because it will have been matured there and grown there. So when you're talking about things that you you like, what is it that you like when you're creating watershed and and knock mill downs what are the flavors that you're looking for that that you look for in these whiskies as you're creating them i think so for watershed what we were aiming for was a whiskey that was approachable light easy drinking we wanted we wanted sweetness we wanted um something of a traditional irish whiskey and all those lovely um ex-bourbon barrel flavors coming through so all those 
um, sweet honeys and vanillas and everything. But at the same point in time, we wanted a single malt. So everything we've done so far has been a single malt. Although, as you know, we've got a couple of things in the pipeline that aren't single malts. Right, right. But with Watershed, we wanted to take the kind of traditional view of Irish whiskey and apply that to a single malt. So something that was light, easy drinking, but at the same point in time was a single malt and was non-chill filtered because that was something we believed in quite strongly as well. Mm-hmm. With Knock Meal Downs, we wanted something that was a little bit more growing up. So something that was still quite, it's still very much an Irish whiskey and that even at the non-chill filtered higher alcohol strength of 47, it's comfortable and easy to drink. It, it is a little bit more grown up for me. It's a bit more of a around the fire with a blanket on your lap or around your shoulders. Hmm. Um, sort of winter whiskey, whereas Watershed's a bit more of a summer whiskey, but we wanted something that was still quite approachable. Whereas if you then go towards our single cask, what we felt like we'd done with those two was they were very much in the same vein and they were quite safe. And with the single cask, we wanted to go like this Irish whiskey doesn't have to just be these things. You can do something totally wild and different and crazy. And that's kind of, we went a little bit mad with the single cask. So we don't, I'm kind of, I'm actually looking across the room here at the guys and I'm going like, I think like what, what I like anyway personally is a vast selection of stuff. Like I like good whiskey and there is, there's good whiskey at lots of different ranges. And what we want to do is give people the best whiskey we can at certain points in our range. As you're building your distillery, I imagine you, you will have, you'll also be doing, will you be doing malting on site and everything on site from barley to bottle? <laughs> um, malting is the only thing we're not doing on site. I suggested to Liam that we put a malting floor in and he told me that, uh, no, he would not be turning malt for me. I could go away and get it done somewhere else. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. So you'll, you'll malt it elsewhere. And I imagine drying it elsewhere as well. So we dry it. We dry it just down the road at a neighbour's house. Um, so if Jerry ever listens to this podcast, thanks, Mildred. And then we take it back and we store it on site um, for the dormancy period. And then we send it off to get malted and bring it back and store it. Okay. And then it goes to get distilled. Okay. Are you willing to talk about what what your capacity will be to start? You know how many casks you're looking to to lay down once you're up and running yeah i i can chat about that but it's kind of it's a hard question because we're planning on well we're going to be limited i suppose in the first year by how much grain we have put down mm-hmm. um liam is nodding at me so if i look at this just now say in our first year we'll probably be talking about an absolute maximum of i'm just moving backwards here to find a calculator some 400 by 100, you're talking about an absolute maximum of 40,000 LPA maximum. Okay. So, for- <laughs> so we are dinky in the first year. Um, yeah. But then we're, we're putting, like when done drums up and going and everything, then we're putting in stills in there that you're talking more like, I think it's 350,000. Okay. It's much bigger. Okay, so f- for for our listeners out there, currently uh, Westland Distillery, Kilhoman Distillery, those are both at two hundred fifty thousand liters. So you'd start off at forty thousand, so about one fifth that, maybe a little less than one fifth that. And 
Wow. Okay. Then, and that would be a massive jump. That's great. Yeah. Huge. But we, we kind of like 40,000 isn't going to get us very far for very long, but it's, it's useful in that we have the ability to set that up really quickly. Sure. And we can be set up kind of a year earlier than we would be if we were waiting for the bigger stills and the bigger um, distillery to go in. Um, I, I think we briefly touched, we might have briefly touched on it yesterday, but like the bigger venue includes a function room upstairs and includes um, a tour area. And it's there's just a lot more to it, whereas we can we can get up the smaller stills fairly quickly. Okay. And so I, I guess that the, the- the part that I'm that I'm getting to as you're planning all these bits and pieces, these are all little bits and bobs that you needed to think about as you are planning your distillery and the build of your distillery and, and what you definitely plan to start doing on the outset, what parts of it you would look to be adding on down the road as you continue to grow. But from when you started until just now, what have been... What have been the either speed bumps or or major concerns that you've concerns you've had and speed bumps you've you've had to overcome to get to to where you are where you're just a month a month month and a half away from starting construction. The big one was probably the first time we went to malt something and realized that no one in Ireland had to malt malted um small enough quantities for what we were doing that was fun um <laughs> so we had to arrange to take uh all our barley i think we had about 50 tons of it we had to arrange to take 50 tons of barley to scotland to get it malted and then bring it home again um so that was that was i suppose you could say a speed bump that wasn't particularly enjoyable <laughs> um <laughs> Um, there's been so many, but I suppose the one that kind of just because I was talking about it this morning, I popped in to see um, Susanna at Whiskey this morning. And I know, you, I don't know if you remember, I met her last year when I was over visiting. Oh, and Su- Susanna? She was talking, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. great. And she was talking to me about our bonded warehouse because I was talking to her about all the issues with bonding and. Irish legislation around bonding and everything last year and I was like so I was going through the process at the time and it's taken us till I think our barrels moved in two or three weeks ago now and so it's taken us that long to get through the process and to get everything in place and to get approvals and actually move our barrels so it's been it's been 12 months that I've been working on that so that that was like I'd say the longest speed bump um ever it's finally done those must be the two big ones the fact that we ended up going to scotland with barley and the fact that we took a year to get um a bond in place wow but like it's i don't know it's just if you keep on plugging away it happens like it's it's just not letting the setbacks bother you you kind of have to just keep on having faith and learn it's all going to be okay what are you looking forward to the most and and actually i'm going to make this a two-part question um what were you hoping for when when you launched this like you know you, your five-year plan and and and, and <laughs> you know really we may have we may have already talked about it a bit with you know coming out with the bottlings that you had opening your distillery you know all, all this um but i'm curious what are you looking forward to 
the most? Like, when do you feel you will be at a place where you said, I did it. I did it. This, this is great. Cause right now you, you are in growth and you are just trying to get the word out. So people simply know the name Tipperary. It's a, it's a lot of work to do. So when do you feel you will be at a point where you say, yes, I did it. I finally did it. Never. I don't think I ever will. Like I'm always, you'll always want to be bigger and better and more like, so you mentioned the five-year plan there. Like we're definitely not, I'm always um, more ambitious. So I probably like, I would have preferred to have had this, the distillery in 12 months ago. Mm. Um, so okay, if it's, if the stills are in by the end of the year and they're running by next year, that's great. But you're always kind of going, oh, I, I should have done better. I should have done more. Um, and then I'll be, now, so the big thing for me, the next big hurdle or the next big milestone will be those stills running. Like I have stills sitting there just now that are, that aren't plugged in yet. And so I just, I need to see them running and I need to see some <laughs> spirit coming out of them. <laughs> and I'm massively excited about that, but I still won't feel, I, I think I'll see that and I'll be like, great, that's another milestone. But then there's more to do and you've got the next one to work on. You've got to make sure that um, t- there's just every single day there's more and more and more to do. I think you always want to be bigger and you, I, I just don't yeah. see a place. There's never I'm time to like, rest on your laurels, basically. It's just keep going. Yeah. 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 I don't think I'm ever going to be the kind of person that's just like, okay, cool. I've made it. I'm going to sit back and <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> have some of my my womanly whiskey and <laughs> be happy with like where I am. Cause I just think, I think there's, you're always going to want to be more and bigger. And the more you do, the more kind of possibilities are out there. One of the things for us in interviewing a female producer, a female distiller, a female brand owner is we don't necessarily want to pull out the differences, right? Hey Jen, you're a woman. What's that like for you? Right. <laughs> I think it's much more interesting for us, and I hope it's much more interesting for our listeners when we just engage with them as whiskey people. Because, yeah. shocker, they're whiskey people, right? Wait, what? I know. I'm sorry, Joshua. That's a spoiler alert. Um, I went with shocker. I should have gone with spoiler alert. Um, and so it was interesting in talking with Becky Harris at Catoctin Creek where she saved up being a woman in whiskey for her misconception. Mm. When we talked to Vienna Barger, the owner of Southern Distilling Company, she kept it until her misconception. What I thought was quite interesting in listening to the, the raw audio of your interview with Jennifer is she was answering one question and made an aside to being a woman in, in whiskey. Yeah, yeah. And I thought it came up so naturally and organically that it was it was the perfect place for it to be uh, discussed, to be mentioned, to identify the nine hundred pound gorilla in the room. Yeah, and so I I don't think we really have a a good intro to her speaking about this since it just grew organically out of an aside. But I think it's an important point for her to raise, and I want to pivot back to her to give her the floor. And then you and I can maybe comment after she's had the floor. Yeah, perfect. What you're doing is something that is quite familiar, at least from an, an American perspective, of of what's happening with brands here in the U.S. As a, for instance, Smooth Ambler, 
is a distillery down in West Virginia. And as they were building their distillery and laying down their own stocks, they're sourcing whiskeys from other producers, larger producers, and mm-hmm. selling selling it under their own label. Not really hiding the fact that they're sourcing it. Everybody knows, just as I'm, I'm sure you're going around and and, and people understand yeah. that the liquid isn't yours. But I'm curious, as you're working with your with your PR people with the with these groups, what's the story that you're telling? How what's your pitch to people as as you're trying to educate people on Tipperary? So there's Lee. Do you know what? It depends on the person you're talking to because you're trying to tell them them and their audience is something that they're going to be interested in. Mm-hmm. So. You, you have the same kind of underlying story. Like our eventual aim is always to be field to bottle um, and that's where we're heading towards. But um, if we are talking, so um, this so next week, and it's just at the top of my head, I'm at the Plowing Championships um, in Ireland and that's all farmers. And the story that we'll be talking about is very much... Um, about barley and about terroir and about how the importance of barley and whiskey. Mm-hmm. Um, we were on the radio there talking to Melanie at um, W4WM Radio and we were talking about women in whiskey and we were talking about what it's like to be female in whiskey and whether there's very many females working in the whiskey industry and whether or not it is sensible to market drinks for a woman's palate. Um, We decided it's not. (laughs) So can you, before you go on, can you dig a little deeper into that? Why was it decided? I mean, I I agree. I think think whiskey is whiskey is whiskey and whether... You're you're a man or woman. I think people come to flavor, and and personally, I think marketing to women could be a, a bit patronizing. But I wonder if that was was that the conclusion? Is that the same conclusion? We just kind of touched on it really briefly, and where I was kind of coming round to in my head on it because she just mentioned it, and I was kind of like, my instinctive reaction was because I've seen this done a few other times. Is I hate it. I don't understand why you would have to why. You'd, drinks should be aimed towards gender and then I think and I I was kind of like coming around towards the conclusion that like it does that there's two reasons for me or there's two things that I would say about it first of all if you're gonna aim a drink towards a woman's palate I think the absurdity of it can be seen if you consider a restaurant menu Mm. like imagine going into a restaurant and like someone gives you a separate menu because you're female and goes these are the these are the dishes that are towards (laughs) your palate yeah like it's you wouldn't do that so I don't understand why you do that with a whiskey and the second thing is that if you're aiming something towards a woman's palate you're essentially saying that this is the whiskey that's for you and all these other whiskeys over here are for the men Mm. and i'm like why why do the women get like this and i'm gonna i'm gonna make a big assumption here but go it was a light sweet whiskey and we're gonna give this to the little women and we're gonna tell them that like all these big peated things over here or the stronger flavors or the higher ABVs are all for the men. And I'm just like, really? Why? Yeah. What you're saying reminds me of uh, a little comic that was going around 
on Facebook where where there's you know the stick figure guy and he, he walks into a bar and he he goes to the bar and there's a woman behind the bar and he says give me the girliest drink you have and then she hands him a drink in this cartoon and he looks at it he says this is straight whiskey and she says yeah i know woman up <laughs> you know enjoy the, enjoy the whiskey woman up and i think comparing that to offering a woman a special food menu is a really good way of shining a light on i guess on how ridiculous the idea of a whiskey for women would be that's yeah, really that's, interesting. it just kind of occurred to me. And I was like, it's just silly. I can't imagine I was going out for dinner and like me getting a separate menu. Yeah. Because, because I'm female. It just so, baffles me. So do you run into that a lot? You know, being being the face of the brand, being a female, is it is it an issue? I, I wasn't going to... I wasn't going to go here, but you brought it up. So I'm, <laughs> I'm going to ask, you know, I, I imagine it's, you've got to run into some strange and potentially ridiculous things, but what do you run into as a, as a woman selling whiskey and creating whiskey? I think the vast majority of the time, it's not an issue like day to day. I probably speak to 50% men and 50% women. Like there's loads of women in the whiskey industry. They might just not be in positions where, they're interviewed very much or um, they're out there as a face of brands. Like a lot of the time they're the people that are um, off the top of my head, people that are arranging deliveries or that are doing customs documents or that are dealing with warrants. But like I, I speak to women every single day in my job in the industry. They're just in different roles. The guys, like the, the vast majority of guys I speak to don't treat me, I don't think, any differently because I'm female. Mm-hmm. I think... The only thing that's happened to me occasionally is that like if you if you get annoyed or if you are not happy with the way that something's been done and you're female, you have to be very careful about how you express that because um, as soon as you start to get annoyed about something or start to express your disappointment about something, like people like lose the plot, like they think you're getting hysterical. Because you're going, I'm not happy about this. And if you start to, if you start to get in any way, kind of, you just have to be very careful about your emotions. Because as if you are seen to be in any way emotional about things, like people just lose the plot and think that you're crazy and you're, I don't know, hormonal or something. It's wow. it's madness. Whereas I was a guy, and I like I've seen, I've worked for guys. I worked for a couple of guys that would um, would think nothing of shouting and swearing, and like would have no issue with like really strongly making their point. And I don't have an issue with that either, to be honest. But if I try and take that approach, it's seen as if I'm, <laughs> I don't know. It's, no, I, 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 I was really surprised the first couple of times I saw it. But like people get really upset if you're a woman and like you, you get angry about something. Well, that's because they all want you to smile. Women are supposed to smile and not be angry or, or not have <laughs> feelings otherwise. Yeah. Yeah, it's really strange that yeah. people actually, and that sounds silly. And I didn't think that that kind that um, was still a thing. But no, like people actually do get up, like, and like people get offended or upset or something. And my stuff being so delicate. I said I was, I, I said I wasn't happy, and I wasn't happy. But this is, it's a professional. I, I feel like in a professional capacity, I should be able to communicate the fact that I'm not happy about something and then move on. Well, you know, if, if you're female, yeah. you can't. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, he, here in the U.S., during our last presidential elections, 
I remember during the debates while Hillary Clinton was, you know, debating he who shall not be named, um, <laughs> you know, the, the press was basically talking about how, how she had to walk a very tight line so as not to come off as a, uh, an angry woman because that doesn't look good. And and I think yeah. it's it's such a shame that as as a woman you're held to quite a different standard, really. In I guess in any situation, but you know I'd, I'd hoped that it wasn't in whiskey, but it seems like in any situation. I think it's I think it's kind of people personally. I thought things moved on. Like I I genuinely did think that people had moved on, and I suppose that I'd I'd seen so many men act in a way that was quite firm, in a way that was quite that was way more demanding than I would have been in the instances that I'm thinking of that I would have thought it would have been accepted but mm. apparently no like people take it really differently if you're if you're female and you um, express your disappointment yeah there you go it's, well there you go yeah we should, we should do something once a week Joshua and I'll just tell you like the female perspective <laughs> <laughs> you know Jason as as a white male you know how hard it is for us these days. Mm-hmm. Mm. Nobody understands how difficult it is yeah. to be a white male in this world, and especially in this whiskey industry. <laughs> <laughs> Said, hopefully, no one ever. Yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> there's some politicians who say things like that, but that's another story for another another day altogether altogether yeah it's it's it really is interesting sad regrettable that women are held to a completely different standard than men and it can be as big as assumed emotional things in business dealings to you know oh women like light fruity foofy things like, why make these assumptions that women are all about dainty and are fragile and are, uh, you know, prone to whatever, a, a vast array of emotions that are uncontrollable? It's, it, it's, it's upsetting. Well, I, I loved what Jennifer had to say about if you point over there and you say, those are the whiskeys for women and there's a very, 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 very small number of them, when you then point to the rest of the category, you yeah. say, and these aren't for women. It's It removes so much of the category mm-hmm. from your enjoyment. And it's, it's interesting because earlier in this episode, you had mentioned in being at the Old and Rare, one of the things that you really loved, tropical fruit flavors. Mm-hmm. Now imagine, <laughs> imagine if you never had access to those, because only manly flavors were allowed in whiskey, and it has to be peaty, and it has to be heavy, and it has to be sulfuric, right? Those mm. are male flavors. Mm-hmm. It would make a mockery of the entire industry and the entire category. Yeah, it would. And thankfully, nobody says that. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that we would then flip that around and say it to women, I think is a non-starter. Completely yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. yeah, agreed. Okay. All right. Yeah, that's, it. you know, and I think that's where we as men need to just stop talking about it. This is me 
stopping talking about no, it. But you just need to stop because I think if I let you go on, you'd continue talking about it. So now we're going to pivot into something that <laughs> I think is, is kind of tricky to bring up. And I never want to go from saying, this is Jennifer Nickerson. Here's everything she's doing with Tipperary. Yeah. And it's a hell of a long list of achievements uh, for her with that brand. Mm -hmm. And then we turn around and say, she's the daughter of Stuart Nickerson. Right. I think it just cuts out her achievements right at the knees. However, yeah. <laughs> Stuart Nickerson is also a member of the Tipperary team. That he is. And you cannot talk about Tipperary without talking about Stuart Nickerson. And when you're then talking about two Nickersons, people, even if you try to avoid the connection, will ask, any relation? And then you say, well, Stuart's actually Jennifer's father. And, and then you go, oh, so really what's Jennifer's role in this? Is she just the woman out front? No, not no. in the slightest. Oh, did she just get it by nepotism? No, not in the slightest, right? <laughs> it's so weird to me that we then have to overcome hurdles that we never thought we were putting in place uh, in the first place, yeah. right? Yeah. And so, yeah, Stuart has, what, a 40-year history in the industry, incredibly yeah. accomplished, uh, incredibly well-revered, incredibly well-considered. The fact that he has embarked upon a consulting role with Jennifer is brilliant. Mm -hmm. It's fantastic for Jennifer. It's fantastic for Tipperary. It's fantastic for Liam, uh, the farmer in this, you know, Jennifer's husband. It's an all-around wonderful situation. Yeah. That to discuss it fully creates its own problems. Well, you know, I asked Jennifer about this one time and, and this may have been when she was out here in 2017 during around the time of, of Whiskey Jubilee and there were some tastings going on. Or and I don't quite remember the specifics of it, but I said, does it make sense to bring up Stuart in any way? Uh, or do you not want to lead with that? I mean, you really are the face of this brand. And she says, no, it's, I think it's very important to mention Stuart, you know, we wouldn't have a Tipperary if it wasn't for his involvement in this company. And and I love that from her vantage point, and, and this should be everybody's vantage point, you know, this, this is not Stuart's company that, it, that she's just merely the face of, like you exactly. had said. You know, he is a part and parcel of the company, there's no doubt about it. This is Tipperary, right? This is a Nickerson product. This is Jennifer's product. So while it does seem delicate to bring it up and and we do talk about it and we'll hand the microphone over to, to her in a moment, I, I think it's very important to bring it up because like you had said, Stuart's got a bit of a pedigree to him. 40 years now in the industry, anybody who's had Highland Park 25-year-old or 30-year-old, you can thank Stuart Nickerson because he's made that. Uh, he was with the Glenrothes Distillery. He was with Gervin. He was he reopened the Glenglassa Distillery in 2008. That's when you and I first met him, right? Exactly, yep. And so many others to, to mention. He was in whiskey before, and Jennifer will mention this, he was in whiskey before she was even born. So 
I think it's important to mention him, and and she agrees with that. Seems like a perfect time to send it back to Jennifer. You mentioned your dad, and and we haven't talked about that. I think a lot of our our listeners would be very interested to know that. You know, the last name Nickerson should sound familiar, and that's because Stuart Nickerson is your dad. And so you grew up, you grew up in whiskey, in and around whiskey. Was there ever a time that you can remember that your dad wasn't creating a whiskey, whether it's at Highland Park or Glen Fittick or Gervin or, or wherever? Have you just always known your dad to be the whiskey guy? Yeah, he's. Um, I think he said to me yesterday, um, it'll be forty years next year. His first forty years that he's been working in whiskey. Um, so since before I was born, um, I came home and when I couldn't sleep, my mum used to roll my pram out and they'd open up the warehouse. When they open up the warehouses, and the fumes would finally get me off to sleep. <laughs> she wow. hates me telling that story. <laughs> so it's. <laughs> she'll kill me eventually um but i was like i lived beside distilleries the whole time i was growing up um and yeah so he's he's been making whiskey for as long as i can remember anyway it's, it's fantastic we're so lucky to have him on board yeah what, what part does he play with tipperary all the technical stuff so i do all the day-to-day i um speak to people i make orders i arrange bottlings so like all the kind of all the administration straight of stuff um then into legal contracts accounts sales pretty much all all the day all the day-to-day stuff that no one wants to talk about yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah the stuff no one cares about and then liam does all the farming and um anything kind of to do with construction because he's an engineer and dad does Advice on when we were distilling the green, um, advice on choosing whiskey, tasting all our samples, advice on recasking, choosing casks, anything that sort of is to do with whiskey um, and taste and what we're doing with our whiskey is dad's domain. Wow. Wow. So if you like our whiskey, then um, you can thank him. And if you don't, then blame him. It's not my fault. (laughs) Jennifer, thank you so much for your time. Uh, you had just come back from the U.S., uh, back home, and then hopped on a call with me. And so I do appreciate you taking out the time to speak with me. And, uh, you know, you've got St. Patrick's Day right around the corner. So hopefully it's a good St. Patty's Day for you and, and of course, for Tipperary. And I will say it at some point in the future, once distillation begins there, uh, you and I will have to go visit the distillery and and get you know something on wax, uh, a little taste of some new make, conversation with Jennifer, mm-hmm. uh, maybe try and get uh, Liam the farmer and Stuart, you know the consultant, and uh, get get them all on wax. Uh, that would be brilliant. You know, I remember interviewing Stuart for my blog now eleven years ago. And, you know, that right around the time that he was reopening Glenclassa and what a treat it would be 11 years later to, to now have him on the podcast as well. Uh, I'd love that. It'd be great. But that's why you, you gave me pause when you said anybody who's had the Highland Park 25 year old, that would have been made by Stuart. And I was trying to reverse the math up and thinking, OK, so 11 years ago, he wasn't there. 
and he'd been with Glenn Glasser before that. You actually had me thinking about Stewart's dates at Highland Park and whether he was actually still there for the production of the 25 or if he'd been away long enough at that point. Well, I think the current 25, it doesn't have his signature on it. You know, that that was not his make. But the 25-year-old from maybe four years ago, I think, still mm. was his. And mm-hmm. and then the current 30-year-old. That's uh, worth was, clarifying. Was yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. No, that, 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 got that's, this in. That, that, that's a good point. I, I often find myself, whenever talking about Stuart, saying, mm-hmm. have you ever had the Highland Park 25-year-old? Mm-hmm. I said, you can thank that man. And, and then I forget sometimes that the years actually go on. You do have difficulty with that. We have noticed that in other episodes of this podcast that you're sometimes surprised that time passes. You know, it's definitely noticed, but but I think most people are kind enough to just let it slide. Were, were you, on the other hand, you know, you just you call it right out. I tell you, I tell you, once a pedant, always a pedant. <laughs> so we will return to Jennifer Later in the episode, we actually have a couple of misconceptions. Oh, I, you know, I loved it, asking her the question, and she started giving her misconceptions. She says, oh, wait a second, I've got two. <laughs> <laughs> loved it. <laughs> so number one, she says, yeah, no, that mm-hmm. was, that was mm-hmm. fantastic. I say, Jason, that it is officially time for the news. We actually have a, a little bit to share this time, I would say. I mean, not that in previous times we haven't had news to share and just, you know, spoke uh, ad nauseum about things we didn't need to speak about. But this, we do have some news that I'm excited to share. That's a lot of words. Let's hear what you're going to talk about. Well, you know, you, you, you brought it up in the last episode that... Uh, 2019 was the year for me to be using slightly larger words. And I thought, why not, you know, in addition to using larger words, just use more words. I can only imagine all of our dear listeners who thought, I don't think that's possible, Joshua, are now like, okay, buckle up, buttercup, we're going to learn some things. Uh, We received amazing news. Absolutely amazing news from... Uh, our import company, uh, Impex Beverages, who I work for and who is also our import company, that a pickup of our mezcal from Mexico has been made. I can honestly say I didn't think I would see the day. I can honestly say that, hand on heart. I just thought this would be a project that would just go on forever without any resolution or conclusion. Right, because we just didn't know what it is like dealing with Mexico. And and I don't know, we don't even know if this is a regular thing where you wait for months and months and months and months and months. You know, my, my hope is the next time we do this, it'll be quicker, but it could be longer. We just don't know. I hope so, yeah. There, were, there was a lot of paperwork had to be submitted by virtually everybody. And obviously, you know, listeners are thinking, isn't there normally paperwork? Yes, yes, there is. There is normally paperwork. <laughs> But it was reams upon reams of paperwork Mm -hmm. that was being submitted by everyone. 
it was it was a an interesting situation. So yeah. thankfully there is light at the end of the tunnel. Hopefully by the time this goes live, and that'll be March thirteenth of two thousand and nineteen. Mm-hmm. Four days before Saint Patrick's Day. Our mezcal reposada will be sold out. <laughs> Why don't you say that again and pronounce the word correctly? Reposado. Mezcal. Did I get the mezcal right? No. You continue to get that wrong. It's mez. Mets. <laughs> it's not a baseball team. It's not a baseball team. It's mez. Uh-huh. Ka. <laughs> <laughs> Right, so our Bescal Reposado and our Añejo, uh, both both of them are on the way. You are beating you are being a bit of an Añejo right now, to be honest. <laughs> Just trying to catch up to you. You're you're extra Añejo. <laughs> uh, it should be at our warehouse shortly, and like you had said, this hopefully by the time this goes live. Our Reposado will be on sale online, and our Añejo will, at the very least, start selling in California. And with the Añejo, we've got a a bit more than 700 or so bottles, which is a big release for us, as as most people would know. That's that's a big release for us. I'm also going to go on wax and say our new DC. Delaware, Maryland distributor mm-hmm. also distributes Fidencio, mm-hmm. the brand with whom we have partnered on this. And they would like to take as much as they are possibly allowed. Hmm. So if you're in the mid Atlantic, there's a very good chance, as those listeners who are in California, that you will see a fair amount of this come into your market. However, it is a nine-year-old mezcal, and there are none that I know of in the marketplace. None. I do not see this hanging around. Exactamundo. We're trying to get it out to your markets. Please help support it in those markets. Please know that it will not be around for long. And and if you're curious as to what markets Single Cast Nation is in or may be available in, you can go to our website, singlecastnation.com, and there's a link somewhere that, you know, in the navigation that talks about where we're distributed in. So, yeah, it's down the, down the left-hand side on the front page. Yep, exactly. Mm-hmm. So that's news bit number one. Do we have, do we have any other news that... That is of this importance that we need to share. You seem to suggest that we had lots of news to get to. I, you know what? That one's just such a big one that it felt like, like, you know, I just it seemed like a lot. But then we just got through it pretty quickly. It felt like a ten pound baby delivered naturally. <laughs> and what does that feel like, Jason? You'd I have a woman who tells me exactly how that feels. Tell you, whatever that feels like, I guarantee it's nothing compared to what it feels like when I have a minor cold. <laughs> That's one way you could take it. I honestly <laughs> thought you were going to say it's nothing compared to how this has felt. So. 
Well, the sentiment that was the same either way. I, I had you pegged for your sentiment. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Um, we, we are making progress with our next retail release uh, of single malt scotches. Oh, uh, lim, lim, uh, we, boop. we talked previously <laughs> about TTB approval and we continue to work our way uh-huh, through that. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, we have some awfully good whiskies coming in from Scotland. Uh, once we get labels approved, printed, applied, mm-hmm. get the whiskey on the boat, get the boat to San Francisco... Boy, do we have some doozies to release. And from our last release, release number four, the 18-year-old Stones of Stenness, the 13-year-old Macduff, which is actually a 14-year-old, and our oh. 10-year-old Peated Krugelke officially went on sale in New York, in New Jersey, on March 1. Oh, wow. Yes. Okay. Yep. So that is going to start hitting store shelves. My suggestion to you is if you don't see it in your favorite shop, ask them to order it through Skurnik Wines, and they'll bring it in. I can tell you there was not a lot of this that came in. And I was going to say, it's pretty much sold out in California. Well, that's the thing. In New York, you have a, a two-month waiting period because of registration and price posting through the New York State Liquor Authority. And so while it was sold out in many other places, New York is finally getting it, New Jersey finally getting it, but it's going Mm. to go quickly. So ask your shops to get them in as soon as you can. So that Mm. way you don't miss out. And the kind of the the beginning of this news that will be reiterated uh, over other episodes to come, but our wild turkey, our two casks that we had the pleasure of selecting with Bruce Russell. Mm Mm-hmm. Those are now at our bottling hall. They're at our bottling hall. We're going to be launching the lottery for those very shortly. And the other thing that I wanted to mention too, and we haven't really talked about this, is there are a lot of people who enjoy single cast nations, have been enjoying our light whiskeys. And we have two batches of 12-year-old light whiskey coming out. One for online and one for retail shops. And these are going to be kind of interesting. I don't want to reveal the details right now. I want to wait until the labels are approved by the TTB before we deliver too much news. But um, know that those are coming, and they're coming soon. Uh, they're at the bottling hall right now. They're waiting to be bottled and, and, and labeled. And I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that sometime in April those will be released. So one more piece of news and then we'll get out of this segment and this will circle back to what we were saying earlier in the episode. Mm-hmm. The Great Isla Swim Bottle has started shipping. Yeah. And there's right now as of recording a couple of bottles left for sale on our website. Yeah, li- our website is sparse. Yeah. Sparse. Yeah. We have a couple of Great Isla Swim Bottles. Uh, when this goes live, this episode goes live, I don't know if they'll still be on the website. Um, if there are none on the website, I can say we do have a bottle going live at scotchwhiskeyauctions.com. That will go live the Friday of the final weekend in March. Mm-hmm. And that is being sold as a 100% charitable entry. Correct, correct, correct. So every dollar bill raised from that sale will go to charity. Uh, we're still discussing internally whether we want to make it 
uh, a little bit more to go to RNLI on Isla, or whether you know with their ten thousand dollar check, if we want to look around and send it to another charity. Yeah, you know, for me, I think it's important to make sure that it's a very Scottish specific thing, and and we are looking at that, and 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 we'll see. It may go to RNLI or it may go to another one. You know, it'd be interesting to hear from the listeners if there's any Scottish specific. Uh, charities that are near and dear to them, you know, might save us a little research. You know, if there's something near and dear to you, let us know and and we'll look at those and see if we can donate to that. And if it's near and dear to you, then it may be worth bidding on that. And then your money will go directly to that. There you go. There you go. Very good. So yeah, it's been a hell of a journey with that bottling and that's almost wrapped up in new projects as we've said just now are are on the horizon always new things yeah so there you go and this hereby concludes the news segment oh, I'll see if I can find some wrap up music to drop in there <laughs> like a ba-na-ba-ba-na-ba-bwap. <laughs> um, we we've had an email come in while we've been recording this today Joshua you no know, we did we did it was the it was the good Ben Homan who has mm-hmm emailed us previously. Would you like me to read the email or would you like to read the email? You have it right in front of you, so please go ahead. Okay. The subject of the email is just entitled Young Whiskey. And I, I I want to point out here before I read the body of the email, Ben knows exactly how to spell whiskey and that is without the E. And so... Now the question becomes, does he know how to address the J and the J? Well, I will tell you, he doesn't even say it. He he doesn't even greet us. He just goes right into it, which that's a that's a man who just gets straight to business. Yep. Yeah. You've got my subject. Here come the words. Get ready. <laughs> so he says, I've been listening through old episodes again onto season one for the third time. That's amazing. That's amazing um, support. Thank you, Ben. Yeah, thank you. Um, and it's got me wondering: Will we be seeing younger whiskey coming down the pipeline anytime soon? All the ones I was able to try, Westland and the Catoctin Creek, were amazing. Cheers, Ben. Since Ben is on his third go-around of season one, I'm going to be 100% honest with Ben. Mm-hmm. When you and I bottled the, the last two-year-old Westland mm-hmm. that was the five-malt mash bill matured in new charred oak, yep. uh, bottled at two years old, mm-hmm. great whiskey. You and I loved it. We selected it mm-hmm. with a group. At the distillery uh, the night before the Whiskey Jubilee uh, Seattle, a couple of years ago, a few years ago. Loved it. Really proud of it. When we then took it out and poured it for people, we would would get one of two reactions. If we led with the number two on the label, Mm -hmm. people would say things like, oh, that's raw. Oh, that's young. And if we poured it blind for people... People would say, that's fantastic. Oh, I love that. That's so good. What is it? And then you would show them the label and they would say, oh, it's too. You know, I thought it was a little raw. I thought the alcohol had a bit of a burden to it. Yeah. Uh, And so you and I found ourselves in a little bit of a predicament where we thought we were bottling very good young whiskey. Mm -hmm. And as we tried to expand membership, expand sales, there was a little bit of pushback with numbers on labels. Yeah. And you and I had a conversation a about 
We had a heart to heart. <laughs> heart to heart. God, remember that show from the 70s? Oh. Uh, Robert Wagner. Oh, that, um, oh, that uh, H-A-R-T. Heart to yes. heart. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Hell of a show. I had some uh, like 1980s soft top uh, Mercedes uh in red that I just wanted. I still want one of them to this day. Anywho, an aside. So I had a heart to heart, as Joshua rightly says. Uh-huh. And and we decided that maybe young and, and Ben leaves it undefined in his email. Mm. But we decided uh that maybe young whiskies weren't doing for us. Very, very young whiskies weren't doing for us what we wanted to do uh with our brand. And we've talked about occasionally revisiting the threes and the fours to to get some more young whiskey out there. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm gonna do this, Josh. I'm gonna leave this open-ended and say anybody listening to this, drop us a note. Drop us questions at, at One Nation Under Whiskey. We're in a very different place in 2019 Thank you. Yeah. Uh, than we were in 2017. And if if there's a if there's a demand for very good two and three year old juice or four, we know exactly or four, we know exactly where to get it. We know exactly from whom to purchase it. But there has to be a demand for it. Yeah, uh, we're not going to go back into pouring great whiskey that gets called raw uh, by people who liked it before they knew the age statement. Yeah, uh, that's a good point. I will add, well, first off, thank you for that. And I like that you sort of handed the baton over to our listeners. And I think I'll do the same on Facebook. After this goes live, mm-hmm. I'll mm-hmm. mention Ben's Ben's mm-hmm. question and I'll put it out on Facebook and see what, see what our members say there. But the other thing that I would mention as well is we may, in the not too distant future, have the opportunity to bottle some younger stuff from a hotter climate country, and I'm not going to name which. And in that particular instance, just like with our Amra, right? Uh, you, you've got whiskey that matures at an incredibly fast rate, exceedingly fast rate. And, and the same would ring true for this whiskey from this particular country. So you may see some younger stuff, but know that it's stuff that matures quite quickly. And if we let it get to seven, eight years old. There just may be nothing left in the cask itself. So uh, it gives me the opportunity to say once again, watch this space. Yep. I'm an hour and three quarters from Catoctin Creek and I've got at least 250 empty bottles sitting in my garage that need to be moved as I'm moving house. If I could run them up to Scott and Becky Harris and have them filled, I will more than happily do that. That's that's fun. I don't think we have ever ever revealed to people that your garage has been dry goods storage for our it, for yep. US bottlings. It has been. It, it has served us very well uh, in the time I've been here. But yeah, now and that's another thing, right? And that's why I talk about us being in a very different place in 2019 as to we were in 2017. We were dealing in small numbers in 2017. It made sense to you'll buy a 1, 1,200 empty bottles, source them with me, and then send them out as casks needed it. Mm-hmm. Now we're sending tw- 1, 1,200 bottles direct to bottling halls and saying, you know, please get this filled for us. Yeah. Um, you know, using their dry goods. We're, we're in a, you know, 
our scale is very different now than it was. And um, I've been sitting on these bottles for a little while and they they need to find a good home. That sounds painful. You know, you, there's better things to sit on than, than <laughs> bottles. You know what it's like when you move house, you move all your chairs, you move all your bean bags. What are you left with? Empty glass bottles. And you sit on what you've got, Joshua. It's that simple. Just just to be clear, I do keep the vino seal in place. Uh, your anus doesn't act as the vino seal? <laughs> <laughs> so if anybody else has a question for us, like the good Ben Homan did, you can reach out to us, questions at onenationunderwhiskey.com. You could tweet at us. Uh, sorry, I almost said the email again. You could tweet at us at One Nation Whiskey. You could Instagram us at One Nation Under Whiskey. Or just go to our Facebook page, go to facebook.com or through your app and search for the One Nation Under Whiskey page. And, and people are starting to post more things there, which, which I quite like. Um, that is good. That yeah. is good. I was also going to say, if you can time your email with us recording the episode, there's a very good chance you'll just get mentioned right away. Right so, away. Right away. Us storing things and returning to things and remembering things. Yeah, yeah we, th- th- something we struggle with with the podcast. But yeah, if you can send in while we're recording it, you're oh, spot on. Tickety boo. And, and, and if you're sitting here saying to yourself, I emailed these guys. <laughs> A month ago, two months ago, three months ago, or I tweeted at them or I Instagrammed them or, or what have you, just take a look at your scent box and make sure that you spelled whiskey without the E. Ah. If you spell it with the E, then it's not going to do anyone any good. And you may have the best question in the world, in which we will do our best to answer. But if you don't spell whiskey right without the E, it won't get to us. So just just remember that. This sounds a little bit like check your whiskey spelling before you wreck your whiskey spelling. Nailed it. Thank you. I suggest, Jason, that we say our goodbyes here, and then we hand the baton finally over to, and once again, to the good Jennifer Nickerson for her misconceptions. Yeah, yeah. Thanks to her again for the time with the interview. Thanks to you for doing the recording. Mm-hmm. As always, thanks to the listeners for listening, you for editing, and me for being awesome. <laughs> Jason Johnson yelling is awesome. Cheers. <laughs> oh, I need a, I need a glass. Uh, I don't have a glass. I wasn't drinking today. Oh, the cat's out of the bag now. Oh. I've drank a whole bottle. I've drank an entire whiskey bottle of liquid. <laughs> Here, you, you know what I'm going to clink together? That is a 20-sided die uh, clinking with a 10-sided die. I had a choice. I could have used a four-sided die, but I don't feel it has the same sort of uh, chutzpah. Yeah, let's see. That's better. Nerd! The biggest one for me, and it's happened a few times, is people saying to me that we have more of a Scotch style. And I'm just a bit like, I'm like, what do you mean? And then you kind of go like... It's just, I think sometimes it's the fact that they know I'm Scottish and they've, oh, I've got two here. Okay, so this is my first one. Um, the first one is, no, I'm Scottish. They know Stuart's Scottish. And they connect us with Scottish. And for some reason, they taste our whiskey and they go, it's more of a Scotch style. Mm. And I'm just like, but you've just tasted another Irish single malt and you're saying, you're tasting two Irish single malts. You're going, ours is more of a Scotch style. And I'm like, I just 
don't and you know what I mean there's no point in arguing with that they've just they've decided that in their head because they have a little bit of background about the brand yeah. like I, I might happen to know that the other one they're comparing it to comes from the same distillery and I'm just like there's just no point in even going there you're just kind of like oh sure whatever yeah, yeah um and then the other one I get a lot and it's all about people's perceptions the other one I get a lot that also isn't worth arguing with is um people go to me oh your bottles your bottle is quite feminine it's quite like a bottle of wine and I've had a few people say that to me um which is really interesting because I know the same bottle is used by a couple of other manufacturers of whiskey whose businesses are run by men and they've never heard that their bottle is feminine wow. and you're like that's funny. And you just kind of go, I oh, sure, there's no point. Like, you just sit there and you're like, grand, fine. Uh, yeah, I, it sounds yeah, like... Both, both of those are points where you're just like, oh. <laughs> it sounds like as a as a Scottish woman, these are things you're going to be fighting all the time. And I sure, there's no point in fighting them, though. You're just kind of like, if if someone has a perception in their head already, it's it's not an objective point. They've just subjectively kind of conflated you to your product wow. and mixed up to you and you're just going I'm not sure I can do much to change your mind about that if that's the impression that you've decided to yeah go with then. yeah yeah <laughs>